This evening, we are gathered here for the Watch Night Come Covenant Renewal Service. The Wesleyan Covenant Renewal Service is a long-standing tradition of the Methodist Church. The first covenant renewal service, the first covenant service was observed on August 11, 1755. John Wesley found the service rich and meaningful. He made references to the covenant service in several entries in his journal. Let me just read uh, a few of these uh, entries to you. On in April 1756, he wrote, Many mourned before God, and many were comforted. In October 1765, he said, It was, as usual, a time of remarkable blessing. And in January and on January 1st, 1775, John Wesley wrote, it was an occasion for a variety of spiritual experiences. I do not know that ever we had a greater blessing. Afterwards, many desired to return thanks either for a sense of pardon, for full salvation, or for the fresh manifestations of His grace, healing all their bad slidings. In London, these services were usually held on New Year's Day. Around the country, the covenant service was conducted wherever John Wesley visited the Methodist societies. We are to renew the covenant shortly. We are to take it seriously. We should not make or renew the covenant half-heartedly. The covenant requires our full commitment. It is crucial for us to prepare ourselves before we make or renew the covenant with God. It's my prayer that we will sense God's presence and we will also experience and encounter God as we commit ourselves afresh to Him to prepare ourselves to renew our covenant with God, let us examine our priorities in life and our commitment to God. We will ask ourselves this question, who's the boss in my life? Am I my own boss? Is someone else my boss? Or is God my boss? Who's the boss? The model answer for Christians, of course, is God is our boss. Don't we claim Jesus as our Lord? So, he's our Lord. He's our boss. But is he really our boss? He demands 100% commitment if he's, he is to be our boss. Let's turn to this evening's scripture text in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 to 62. In this passage, Jesus spells out clearly the commitment required of his followers. He would not accept 
anything less than 100% commitment if he is to be the boss. Let's look at the three examples given in this passage. But first, let me read to you the text. Luke 9, 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So there were three would-be disciples described in these passages. Let's look at them. The first, I try to use all the, the words starting with H. The first would-be disciple, I call him the hasty disciple. He volunteered, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He backed off. And the second would be disciple is the hampered disciple. Jesus said, follow me. And he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus did not accept his excuse. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He probably did not obey, and he did not follow Jesus. And the third would-be disciple is the hesitant disciple. He said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus rejected him. Jesus did not want him to be his disciples either. There is a common characteristic of all these three would-be disciples. What is it? One common characteristic. They wanted to follow Jesus on their own terms. This is the same trap that we often fall into. We want to serve God on our own terms. The first would-be disciples has the own idea of what it means to follow Jesus. He was attracted by Je to Jesus by his teaching. He was charmed by his power. He made an impulsive decision to follow Jesus. He volunteered. 
He said, I will follow you wherever you go. But when Jesus told him that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, he backed off. He thought he could follow Jesus and keep to his current lifestyle. When told of the material comfort that he had to give up as a disciple, he decided not to follow Jesus after all. He was not prepared to pay the price. His decision, or rather his commitment to Jesus, was transient. Jesus wanted him to count the cost before he committed to follow Jesus. He was not ready to pay the cost. Aren't we like him sometimes? Like him, when we are challenged and our emotions are stirred up by an inspiring message, we make a commitment. Yet, when we realize that it call for a change of our current lifestyles and that we have to give up our material comfort, our commitment fizzle out. The cost is too high for us. The second would-be disciple did not volunteer to follow Jesus. He was called by Jesus to follow him and to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus did not accept his excuse. And Jesus told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This would-be disciple was willing, but he was entangled by other obligations. He wanted to bury his father first. This does not mean that his father has died and he has to see to the funeral arrangement. He probably had an aged or sickly father and he wished to care for him till his death before he followed Jesus. Jesus' reply meant that others, the spiritually dead, could very well take care of the, fa- of the affairs, but he had to respond to the calling of God upon his life. The third would-be disciple was willing to follow Jesus, but he was not ready to follow Jesus just yet. He said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who put his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These two would-be disciples were reluctant to commit fully. They wanted to have a final say on when they would follow Jesus. Yes, they would follow Jesus, but first they have to tend to other matters. They would follow Jesus only after they had taken care of their own affairs. Jesus rejected them. They were not fit for service in the kingdom of God 
he did not want them to be his disciples and to be like them. We want to have a final say on when and how we can commit to God. We want to decide on when we can commit. We say, yes, God, I will serve you, but not now. Lord, wait till this or that is done. Wait till I am retired. Then I will have the time to serve. And we want to determine the level of our commitment. We say, yes, God, I will serve you. But God, you know, I also have other commitments. So I can only give you this much of my time. I can only be involved in this, at this level of commitment. Oh Lord, I'm sure you understand. There is nothing wrong in wanting to take care of his father. For the, I mean the two, the second would be disciple. There's nothing wrong in wishing to bid farewell to the family. And in the case of the third would be disciples. In fact, the fifth commandment states that we should honor our father and mother. There is nothing wrong for us to want to fulfill our various obligations in life. After all, we are expected to be good father, to be a good mother, a good employee, etc. But the crust of the matter is the call of God upon us. When God calls, his calling will supersede all other obligations. We are expected to respond and obey fully. This might sound like, wow, it's a very harsh. But we need to think through all these methods because later when we look at the words of the covenant, the commitment that we need to give is a high commitment. So we will need to think through first. All of us have a general calling to serve God. All of us are called to serve him full-time, not just a so-called full-time Christian workers or pastors. If you are a doctor, you are to serve as a Christian doctor. If you are a teacher, you are to serve God as a Christian teacher. I like what Wayne Kodairo said. When God wants to reach out to the people in the medical profession, he disguised some Christians as doctors and nurses so they can be reached. When God wants to reach out to the teachers and students, he disguised some people to be teachers and students so they can be reached. We are a Christian first before we are a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer. It is our general calling to, to live as a Christian and provide the Christian witness wherever God places us. Each of us also have a specific calling from God. Our specific calling is different from the others. 
Jesus did not call everyone to leave their family and work to follow him. In fact, some were told to go home. Remember the demon-possessed man? When he wanted to follow Jesus, after Jesus delivered him you know, from the demons, Jesus told him, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. So the specific callings are different for different people. One example will be our area of service in the church. Where are we called to serve? At what level or commitments are we to serve? This is to be determined by God, not by others or by us. We are not the boss. We don't have the final say. Others are not the boss. They don't have the final say. God is the boss. God has the final say. When we are the boss, we will pick and choose. We will claim credit for ourselves. We will hold on to our ministry as if it is our own. We would think that we are the one in charge. God would not be pleased with this kind of service. When someone else is a boss, he or she determines how we should serve. We serve to please him or her. We serve to get the other persons off our back. We serve under pressure. The service will end up as a burden to us. There will be no joy. God will not accept this kind of service either. When God is the boss, we will serve him and him alone. We will put aside our own preferences. We would, like what the covenant states, freely and with a willing heart, give it all to God's pleasure and disposal. We would serve with joy. We would serve with the strength he provides. We would be renewed and recharged for lifelong service. Most importantly, when God is the boss, all glory and praise will go to God. First Peter 4.11 says that if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. So if we serve, you know, as God has assigned us, and as God's in God's strength, what will happen is if things did not turn out well, we won't be this we won't be like devastated. We won't be depressed. And when things turn out well, we won't take the glory from God and, and rob God of his glory. And we would have the joy in our servings, whatever the result, and we will be able to trust God to lead and to guide us. To quote the words from the covenant renewal order of service, 
Christ will have no servants except by consent. Christ will not accept anything except full consent to all that he requires. We are not our boss. We can't dictate and we should not dictate our own terms of service for God. We are not to serve God as and when we please, in the way we please. No one else is to be our boss either. No one else should determine when and how we are to serve. We are not to serve God to please others. We are not to serve God under someone else's pressure. God is our boss. We are to serve God on God's term and serve God with the strength he provides. And we are to please him and him alone. I will show you the slide of what we are going to, uh, the covenant that we are going to make, the uh, word of covenant. Let's uh, look at the slide and reflect on the word first. It's really a very tall order. Yeah. But then we, we need to prepare ourselves so that when we make this covenant good to God, we really you know, mean what we said. I am no longer my own, but yours. God is our boss. We are not our own boss. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Serve God on God's terms, not on our terms. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. These are familiar words, I think, as Methodists. I think each year we will renew our commitment to God. If sometimes when the words are too familiar for us, it will tend to just, you know, we will just voice it and it doesn't really filter down. I still remember there was one year, you know, my daughter had a friend you know, from Hong Kong and she stayed with us. And we invited, him, uh, invited her, you know, to join the Covenant Renewal Service. Now, that was in a Christalite Methodist Chapel. So the tradition is we will have a, the whole church will come together to have dinner. You know, each cell group will bring their home food. Someone will coordinate. So the whole church will gather together and have the dinner together. Then after that, at 8 o'clock, we will have our covenant renewal service. So the tradition was not the watch night service because quite many of them had young children. You know, with the, kind of if we do watch night, it's a bit hard for them. And after that, you know, this friend, as we told my daughter, she, she was staying with us, I think, for more than a week. And, you know, she'll be trying out the different food and visited different places of interest. And in the end, you know what she said? 
is it the most memorable and a meaningful uh, time for her was our potluck dinner and especially the covenant renewal service. So she was from uh, a non-Methodist uh, church. And for the first time, when she looked at this, uh, the, go through the service and especially the covenant that we made, what well, that really touched her and said that was really the high point where she made, recommit herself to God and renew uh, and make this covenant with God. So tonight, the reason why you know, I, I kind of brought us through and uh, let us uh, kind of uh, really check through our priority is so that, you know, when we make the covenant, as we enter the new year, we tell God, yes, just now we have made our confession. I think we have failed. We are not perfect. I think in many ways, even for myself, you know, I look at two, you know, 2021, many things I think that, oh, of God, I really fall short of uh, God's glory, you know, not even God's expectation, even my own expectation, you know, I have failed to meet it. But then we thank God, you know, for his grace, for his forgiveness. And we are at this moment, as we are enter, you know, going to enter into the new year, we'll make this covenant again, renew our covenant and ask God to help us so that we will really you know, live our best to serve him and let God be our Lord be our Lord and let God be our boss. And as I looked through, like earlier I shared with you the entry of uh, John Wesley in his journal sometimes we wonder you know, our covenant renewal service year after year don't seem to have the same, have the same impact you know, as the the early Methodists, how they really had the, you know, all this encounter with God, how they were convicted and how they were really, you know, touched and wanted to live their life for God. It could be that sometime maybe we kind of uh, maybe take it as a kind of tradition. So indeed, it is really my prayer because the words are well crafted and they're loaded with meaning. We look at it like it's just short a very short uh, kind of covenant, but it actually encompasses you know, how we will live our life. The covenant acknowledges that God is our Lord and we are to serve him on his terms and we are willing to surrender ourselves to him and let him you know, place us wherever he wants us to serve. The danger is that we may merely recite them with our own mouth, without meaning it in our hearts. So let us prepare in our hearts to affirm our full commitment to God by singing the song, Alabaster Jar, and take the song as our prayer, following which our pastor in charge, Pastor Anthony, will be leading us to, to we are to renew our covenant with God. May we be blessed as the early Methodists will in making or renewing the covenant with God. <laughs> 